right, well, I wanna welcome everyone today. Uh, whether you're joining us in person or maybe you're watching online, honored to have you in the house with us or uh, joining us. Also wanna say a big hello to all the men and women joining us in our correctional ministry. We love you guys. We're honored to have you a part of our church. Come on, D-Town, and we welcome our church family today. So good. Well, today we are in week number three of our You Asked For It series where we are answering questions and covering topics that you asked for. And in week number one, we answered the question, man, how do we hear God's voice? And how do we know that is God's voice and not just our own thoughts? And then last week, we answered the question, are we living in the last days? Is Jesus coming Back. And if you didn't get a chance to be here with us, you can always go online and watch past messages that you've missed. But today I want to answer one of your top questions, and that is, how do I live as a Christian in today's culture? This is a great, great question for us to not only ask, but to answer with everything happening in our world today. In fact, this is such a big question that I'm actually gonna take the next two weeks to answer it. So there's gonna be a part one and a part dos for you Spanish-speaking audience. I got you, no worries, but... Uh, next week, we are going to uh, talk about how do we deal with what culture says about sexuality compared to what the Bible says about sexuality. And, and I do want to put a disclaimer out there. Next week, uh, the message will be PG-13. And so, parents, I would just encourage you to take advantage of our amazing children's ministry from, from birth to fifth grade. You may or may not know that we have a whole service geared for them. We have age-graded curriculum for them. They're doing crafts. There's bounce houses. I I mean, they have a blast back in kids' ministry. So I want to encourage you to take advantage of that, not just next week, but really every week. If I could get on my soapbox for two seconds this morning, last week when Pastor Justine was preaching during one of the services, I was looking around and I saw like a six-year-old sitting with his parents, playing on his parents' iPhone during the entire message. And I thought to myself, man, he could, I'm just a parent and a dad and a pastor, and I thought, man, he could be back right now with kids his age, having a blast, doing crafts, learning about Jesus, bouncing on some bounce houses. How many know that would be a better, he'd have a better time than sitting on an iPhone playing a game for 45 minutes. So I want to encourage you to, to take advantage of that. We got, we got a nursery back there. I just love the fact that our team will hold your babies and pray over them. I don't know about you. I would, I'll take a break from my baby if you're going to spend the next time. Here, I got a list. You can hand a list to our kids' workers. Here's some things you can be praying over them, that they'll sleep, that they'll start crying, that they won't poop as much. Come on, somebody. So, so take advantage of that, but, but if you have a middle schooler or high schooler or a young adult or anybody uh, above, man, you're going to want them in this service next week. You want them on the front row. My kids are mandated to sit through both services on the front row, and I'm just going to look at them the entire time. It's going to be a good time as we dig into God's Word, but today in this first installment of answering this question, man, how do, I, how do we live as a Christian in today's culture? There's, there's really no better example in Scripture than a guy by the name of Daniel. 
And if you're not familiar with Daniel's story, man, he, he wrote a self-titled book in the Old Testament part of the Bible. It's 12 chapters long, and it's really a storybook. In fact, many of us might be familiar with some of the stories in this book of the Bible, stories like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the fiery furnace, Daniel, and the lion's den, and what I want us to know about these stories that maybe we've learned in, in, in Sunday school or when we were little, that they're more than just cute little stories. Yeah. That, that, that Daniel faced a dilemma that every single one of us will face or have faced or continue to face in our lives. And, and that is this dilemma of how do we stand firm in our faith and yet love people well at the same time? And Daniel did an amazing job at this. And so let's just dive into the story. I have a lot of content today, a lot of ground that I want to cover with you today. So go ahead and look at your neighbor and just tell him, buckle up. Tell him, buckle up, buttercup. Here we go. Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 through 6 says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, this would be God's people, the Israelites, Nebuchadnezzar, King of Babylon, not the good guys, not God's people, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. And so what we see happening right off the gate in this book of the Bible is that King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, which would be modern-day Iraq, came and defeated Israel which was actually prophesied because Israel continued to disobey God. God had warned them over and over and over again that if they continued down the, this path that they were going, where they were doing their own thing, doing, living according to their own ways, their own feelings, that they would eventually come out from underneath God's covering and God's protection, and it would not go well for them. Which, side note, anybody else besides me ever made that mistake of doing your own thing, living according to your own thoughts and own plans and own ways, and you came out from underneath God's covering and God's protection, and it didn't go well for you either? Well, it didn't go well for, for God's people, and so they were defeated in battle, and the ones who didn't die in battle were taken as slaves into one of the most ungodly cultures in the history of the world for the next 70 years. It goes on to say that along with some of the articles from the temple of God, these, this King Nebuchadnezzar carried off to the temple of his little G-God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, kind of sounds like your pastor, doesn't it? Showing aptitude for every kind of learning, just well-informed, quick to understand, witty, you know, all that list. Qualified to serve in the king's palace. In other words, King Nebuchadnezzar said, we're not going to let, the, we're just not going to put these guys in the fields. We're not going to put them off to do this hard labor. Instead, man, these, these guys are well-trained. They have, they have an education. They, they, they come from royalty. Man, we can use these, we can use these guys in better places. We can actually use them in the palace. 
But in order for us to use them in the palace, it goes on to say that that, that Ashpenaz was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. In other words, we're going to have to indoctrinate them with a new language and a new way of living. And so the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. Now, at first glance, you're like, man, that doesn't sound like too bad of a gig. Like, you're going to eat from the king's table? I just imagine a king eats pretty good back in the day. That doesn't sound like a, a bad thing at all. And so at first glance, it might seem like that. But every food on that table would have broken every Jewish dietary restriction there was. Also, that food would have already been sacrificed to idols and all of these false gods. And so immediately, right out of the, out of the gate, everything that the, the Israelites would have believed and stood for would have been challenged in that moment. In other words, it was a slap in the face to their entire way of life. And it goes on to say that there uh, they would be trained for three years. And after that, they were to enter the king's service. And among those who were chosen from, uh, were some from Judah, and Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So what we see happening in this story is this tension of culture trying to influence who they were, what they believed, and what they stood for. And so the question we just have to ask ourselves is when culture shifts, will we shift too? When culture changes, will we change with it? Because how many of us know culture changes, but God never does? And so let's take a look at how culture tries to influence Daniel and his friends to answer this question. Man, how do we live as Christians in today's culture that's trying to do the same thing? And so Daniel chapter 1, verse 7, the very next verse says, The chief official gave them new names. Everybody say, New names. To Daniel, the name Belshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. And so the first thing, if you're taking notes, we're just going to dive right into it. The first thing that culture will try to do to us, if we let it, is number one, is it will try to rename you. Names are always a sign of ownership. And how many of us know that God's given us a name? That he created us in our mother's room, that he has a plan and a purpose for our lives. And we may or may not be living according to the name that God has given to us, but we're definitely living according to some name. In other words, there is something that we believe about ourselves. And the question is, are we believing what culture says about us or are we believing what God says about us? I love what W.C. Field says. He says, it's not what they call you, it's what you answer to. What name do, do we answer to today? Because Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7, not in your notes, says, tells us that as a person thinks in their heart, so they become. And culture will try to rename us and make us believe something about ourselves that flat out isn't true. That's what they did to Daniel. That's what they did to his friends. In fact, uh, what I want to do is I want to take a look at the meaning of their Hebrew God-given names, and then the meaning of their new culture-given Babylonian names. You ready to get into it? So Daniel, which was his Hebrew God-given name, means God is my 
judge. Like, in other words, I answer to God and God alone. But this new name that culture gave to him, Belshazzar, means lady, protect the king. They gave him a female name in order to attempt to confuse him about his identity. Can I just say there's a lot of confusion in the world today about our identities? There's a lot of gender confusion in the world today. I think the last count was up to 72 different genders in the world. Can I just boldly say that God has already spoke in his word, that he created us in his own image, male and female. He has created us. But there's a lot of confusion in the world. Can I also remind us, this is what we're experiencing in, in culture today. It's not new. It was happening thousands of years ago to Daniel where they were trying to confuse his identity. And they told him, you don't answer to God, you answer, you answer to us now. And, and here's the focus that I want us to see. The focus shifted from God to man. Whenever this happens in culture, whenever this happens in our lives, all of it, how many of us know it's always a mess? Whenever we shift our focus off of God and onto man, it always makes a huge mess. And this is what we see happening in, in that culture. Let's go on. Hananiah, his name, his Hebrew God-given name is Yahweh has been gracious. What an amazing God I serve. But his new his new Babylonian culture-given name, Shadrach, which means I am fearful of God. You need to be afraid of God. God's not for you. He's against you. He's mad at you. And, and it shifted this focus from God is good to God is bad. You don't want to be a follower of Jesus. You're, you're going to miss out. You're not going to fit in. You're going to be weird. You're going to be different. God, God's not for you, man. He's against you. But how many of us know nothing could be further from the truth? That God didn't take something from us. He gave us something we never had. The next friend, Mishael, which means who is what God is. In other words, there is no one like my God. This is what his name means. This is what his life represents. There is no one like my God. But his new name, Meshach, I am despised, contemptible, and humiliated. And all of a sudden, you see this shift from confidence to cowardice. I've experienced this in my life. Anybody else ever struggle with feeling like you, you're not good enough? You'll never measure up. You don't have what it takes. You're unqualified. Anybody else struggle with that? We, we all have. And it's this focus from no, my confidence is in Christ and who God says that I am. That he loved me and he, he sent his only son to die for me and he has a plan for me. And then even though I mess up, man, God still loves me, believes in me, and I can still be all that he's called and created me to be. I mean, he's the lifter of my head. I don't have to walk around in shame and guilt and with my tail between my legs. No, he's the lifter of my head. I have a confidence in him. But when culture comes, try to shift the focus from having this confidence in our God to being a coward. Shame, you'll never get over that. You'll always have that stain on your record. You'll always have that blemish. And every time you look in the mirror, you'll see it. Come on, when culture shifts, it's gonna try and rename us. And then finally, the, the, the other friend was Azariah. 
means Yahweh has helped me. I realize I didn't get here on my own. That God's hand has been on my life. God has changed me and he's, he's, he's given me a life I never thought possible. I, ne- I would never would have been able to get here or get past that or get through that if it wasn't for God. But the new name, Abednego, means servant of Nebo. Their false god, their little G-god. And you see this, this focus from son to slave. No longer seeing you as a son or a daughter. No, you are a slave. And I just want to say culture will try to rename us. And when culture shifts, we better know who we are. And so the question we have to ask ourselves today, all of us, is will my identity come from God or from the world? Will my identity come from God and what he says about me or what the world tries to say about me? Let's continue on in the story. Check out what happens next. Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. It says, but Daniel resolved. Everybody say resolved. Resolved. Daniel resolved not to defile himself. That's a powerful part in this passage of scripture because that word resolved literally means that he pre-decided. He made up his mind ahead of time that before he even got into it, he had already made up his mind. I will not defile myself. I will honor God with my life. I will obey him no matter what they say, no matter what they try to get me to do. I've already resolved in my heart that I'm gonna be obedient to God, not culture. And how many of us know that we have to make up our minds before the struggle so that we can make the right choice in the struggle? He made up his mind not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. I love, it's a great example for us. I love how Daniel had resolved and made up his mind, but he still asked for permission. He still showed honor. He he didn't judge or criticize or tell the Babylonians how wrong they were and how they were all going to hell. No, he stood firm, but he loved well. He stood firm in his faith, but he loved well. And so the second thing that we can learn from Daniel's story that culture will always try to do to us, if we let it, is number two, it will try to tame you. In other words, culture will try to get us to compromise our standards. It's not that bad. You're not hurting anyone. Everybody else is doing it, right? Come on, it feels good. And culture will try to tame us, to water down what we believe and cause us to lower our standards. I mean, here's how it can sound in our lives. I've never said this, but maybe you have. And that is, well, I got some stuff. I make some mistakes, but, but I'm not as bad as that guy. I don't do what they do. And I still got some issues and I'm still working on, nobody's perfect. Nobody's walking on water. But what do we do? We're just making excuses to lower our standards and not live according to the standard that God has for us. Just so we are on the same page as followers of Jesus, uh, our lives are not, our standards are not based on what someone else does or doesn't do. Our standards on how we live our lives isn't based on what society or culture even accepts or doesn't accept. No, the standard for our living is the truth of God's word. It is the canon. It is the standard for what we believe and how we live. It all comes back to God's word. And how many of us know we don't change God's word, we let God's word change us. And when culture shifts, we can't lose our convictions. We can't water them down. And so the question all of us have to ask ourselves is, will I set the culture 
or will I reflect the culture? Right? Am I going to be a thermostat and set the culture? Or am I just going to be a thermometer and reflect the culture to the world around me? Let's continue on in the story. Daniel chapter 1, verses 9 through 14 now says, Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my Lord, the king, who has assigned you food and drink. Why why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? And so they were convinced that if Daniel and his friends didn't eat the royal food, that they they would look worse, not better. And if that happened, man, the king would kill them all. And so the king would, have, uh, would then have my head because of you. And so Daniel said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Something that's interesting in this passage of scripture is that the number 10 in the Bible always refers to testing. We see this in the book of Malachi when it talks about about tithing and giving. The word tithe means tenth. And God says, test me in this and see if I don't open up the floodgates of heaven in your life. We also see this in the book of Revelation in in the church of Smyrna in in Revelation chapter 2 where they were persecuted and tested for ten days. How many of us know when culture shifts, there will be a test? When culture shifts, we'll be tested. Anybody else hot up in this place besides me? Holy cow, I'm about to get crazy up in here. So then Daniel goes on and says, give us, give, give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Which, by the way, this is where we get the Daniel fast from, this passage of scripture. It says, then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. And so what we see, finally, the third thing that culture will try to do to us if we let it, and that is number three, it will try to claim you. There will always be a test. There will always be this moment of of pressure, this tension. And some of us have experienced this, and and we're going to experience it again as culture shifts. Maybe we felt it at school or at our job or, or we've experienced it some place in life and by the way listen up teenagers listen up young adults because we're all going to to experience the world and culture pulling on one arm to go this way and the Holy Spirit pulling on this arm for us to go this way and we get to choose and we get to decide and there will always be a moment when our faith gets tested I'll never forget when I first became a follower of Jesus and God delivered me from just drugs and just that whole lifestyle, I got a job uh, on a construction crew, mudding and taping uh, drywall and, and brand new homes. If you have a hole in your drywall, I, I can't fix it. I don't, I don't know how to do it, but I just want you to know that. But I, I, I tried for a little bit, and so I was working on this construction crew, and it was a pretty rough crew, to be honest with you. If you work construction, you know they can get pretty rough. We'll just use that word. And, and God had just changed my life, and, and I, I knew I was called to be a light uh, to them in the midst of maybe you could say darkness and none of the guys I worked with were Christians and, and so I just, I just remember God challenging me that I'm gonna be the real deal, that God changed me and he healed me and he delivered me and I know who I am and, 
And so I'm just going to be the real deal. And I'll never forget after a couple months working on this crew that I felt like this, the Holy Spirit was calling me to, to bring my Bible to work and, and read it during break. And if you've ever worked construction, you know this is a huge, uh, bold move. And so I took my little orange uh, pocket Bible, my little New Testament Gideon's Bible with the New Testament, the Psalms and Proverbs. And we sat down in the living room and I ate my lunch. And then it was time for me to, I just pulled out my, my, my little Gideon's Bible. And I want you to know, I didn't even read it. I was so nervous. I was pitting out. Like I knew as soon as I opened the Bible, every head in that room was like, what is this dude doing, you know? And so I just sat there for like 10 minutes staring at the, I don't even, and then after like a couple of minutes, I'm like, oh, I gotta turn the page and at least fake it, right? <laughs> And then I would love to tell you that everybody on the crew was like, hey, Kyle, is, what is that? Is, is that a Bible? Tell us more about Jesus. And they all got saved that day. I'd love to tell you that that was the story, but that didn't happen. In fact, that, that was the beginning, uh, that day was the beginning of a, a lot of hard days. Because for the next two months, man, they, they mocked me, they ridiculed me, they made fun of me, they tried to tempt me. I mean, if we were driving to work and we saw a girl walking, don't look at the girl, don't cover his eyes. And they just made fun. Of, they cussed more around me. A couple guys even brought some, some, some drugs to work to use around me. I mean, there was a lot of just, they were just sort of pushing back. And honestly, I didn't really get upset. I, didn't, I wasn't mad or offended at them because I, I knew what they were doing. They were gonna try and see, would I be the real deal? Would I just talk the talk or would I actually walk the walk? But I'm like, God changed me. This is who I am. And I don't care if this construction crew accepts me or not. God accepted me, he changed me, and this is just who I am. And I didn't get it all right, and I didn't do everything perfect, and I didn't float around on a cloud in the houses. And, but I just did my best to represent Jesus well and be the real deal. And after a few months went by, I'll never forget, uh, it was July 4th weekend, and the company was having a, a big, just company-wide uh, party and celebration. I did not go because I knew they were going to be drinking and doing things I just didn't want to be a part of, so, so I didn't go to the party, but uh, I'll never forget, they told me how the story went down, and uh, they were at somebody's house, one of the boss's houses, and, and somebody had brought, it was July 4th weekend, they brought a, a homemade cannon to, to shoot off, and they they lit it at the end of the driveway, and when it exploded, the base of that cannon went flying into the garage where a guy that I worked with on my crew was just standing there talking to somebody else, wasn't even paying attention to what was happening in the driveway, and this base of the cannon came, and it hit right below his knee and took his leg right off. And so they, they obviously called 911, and, and the ambulance came, and they rushed him to the hospital, and as soon as they got him to the hospital, the first phone call they made was to me. Kyle, you wouldn't believe what just happened to Josh. Can you come up to the hospital and pray with us? Can you pray for Josh? And God opened a door for me to be able to share my faith with those same people who had made my life a living hell for the past two months. And the question I just think we have to ask ourselves is, Will I change the world or will the world change me? When culture shifts, will we change the world or will we allow the world to change us? How can I live as a Christian in today's culture? This is Daniel gives us a beautiful example. Let's see what happens next in this story. Daniel chapter one, verses 15 through 20. It says, at the end of the 10 days, the 
Daniel and his friends, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the other young men who ate the royal food. Like as they honored God, as they stood firm in their faith, even though it wasn't popular, even though it went against what everybody else was doing, what everybody else was saying, to everyone else's surprise, their lives were better. It says, so the guard took away their choice food and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables and aquafina water too. <laughs> and to these four young men, or Dasani, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. God gave them wisdom, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. And at the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, at the end of three years, the chief official presented them to King Nebuchadnezzar. And the king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And so they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom. And I just want us to know that our God is 10 times better than anything the world and society and culture could offer us. God's way is better. Culture might tell us that we're gonna miss out Culture might tell us that it has what we're looking for, but the truth is God's way isn't just better, it's 10 times better. And so when culture shifts, we must respond the right way, church. This is why this question that we're answering today is so important. How do we live as Christians in today's culture? And the reason why I think this is so important is because I don't know that that follow, as, as, as a church that we've responded well with everything that's happening in culture today. In fact, as, as I look around, I see two extremes, two responses to what's happening in culture, and honestly, neither one of them are right. At first, we see this, this first extreme response, this dogmatic response of, we're right and you're wrong. And that's just the way it is, and we don't care what happens to you because you're wrong and we're right. And how many of us know, though, that God hasn't called us to be right? He's called us to be effective in our witness. And so if we're pushing people farther away from God rather than drawing them in, how many of us know we can be wrong even in our rightness? Like, technically, we are right, but we're not helpful. But then we also see this other extreme and this other response where it's just like, well, I mean, come on, like, like people don't really need to change, and come on, every, let's just love everybody just the way that they are, and an entire generation is setting aside the truth of God's word and saying, let's just accept people the way that they are, and they actually think that they love God, they love people more than God does. Well, that's not right either. In fact, I had someone ask me, they, when they found out I was a pastor, they said, hey, if I come to your church, are you gonna try and change me? And I go, absolutely, yes, 100%. As soon as you walk in the door, it's gonna start. Because that's the Christian life. That is the Christian life. Like we come in, 
with all kinds of issues and problems and struggles, and God begins to do a work on the inside of our hearts and shows us our selfishness and our pride and our arrogance and our sinfulness and our wrong perspectives, and we go, man, I don't wanna be like this anymore. How many of us know the Christian life is, I, don't want, I wanna be better today than I was yesterday? And I don't wanna be the same tomorrow that I am today. I was just thinking in this, in this in marriage. I was thinking two things this morning. I got a long way to go as a husband. Can you pray for me? I don't know what I'm doing. No. But I thought, man, when we walk down the aisle, we make this profession like, man, I wanna, I wanna honor you. You are my spouse. I love you. Here's my life. For better, for worse, and sickness and health, right? But how many know when you walk down the aisle, you really don't know what you're getting yourself into? And you don't know how to be the spouse God's called you to be. And all of a sudden, I just started this journey of living this life together with someone that I love where I gotta learn how to be the husband that she needs me to be. I mean, there's a lot of changing going on in marriage. If we wanna have a good marriage, I could've looked at her, are you gonna try and change me, babe? And I promise you, Pastor Justina, who's not here, would go, absolutely, 100%. I've already been trying, right? It's the process of sanctification. It's a big churchy word, sanctification, just simply means becoming more and more like Jesus. Give me Jesus. You can have all this world. Give me Jesus. That's why Daniel's story is so powerful and his friends, because they, they stood firm, but they loved well. They influenced an entire culture because of it. And then I think, this is how Jesus lived his life. He came born as a baby, fully God, fully man, setting aside his, his deity to pay the price for the sin of the world. And, and how many of us know that, that he hung out with prostitutes and tax collectors and, and lepers and all kinds of sinners, and yet he never compromised who he was? He never, he never compromised what he believed, and yet they still felt loved by him the entire time. And, and there's a verse that really describes how Jesus did this. John chapter one, verse 14 says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us or made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, talking about Jesus, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of what? Full of grace and truth. Jesus had both grace and truth. So what is truth? If you're taking notes, truth is God's standard. What is God's standard? The Bible, his word. John 17, 17 says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. What do you mean sanctify? Become more like Jesus? Dying to self, seeing where, I, where my mind is set on earthly things. Let me set my mind on heavenly things. And how many of us know that, that culture changes, but God never does? And our standard is the Bible, that we believe in the inherent, infallible truth of God's word, and we base our lives and our beliefs on the Bible. In fact, even this message that I'm giving you today, these are not my thoughts. These are not my good ideas. I didn't come up with this. I'm just simply giving us the truth of God's word today. But at the same time, how many of us know we can't live up to God's standards? that we make mistakes, that we sin, that we all fall short of the glory of God, which is why we need God's grace. Well, what is God's grace? If you take a note, God's grace is God's favor. 
How many of us know that God favors us even when we're not favorable? I love Romans chapter five that tells us that even when we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. Even when we didn't deserve it, he still gave it to us. That's his grace. That God loves us right where we're at, but then yet he loves us enough not to let us stay there. He also loves us enough to, to not let us take credit for it either. Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine, God saved you by his grace when you believed. When you believed. I mean, we just believe. That word believe there in the Greek is the Greek word pestio, and it literally means that I had a change in thinking and I had a change in behavior. Salvation is not just raising a hand at the end of a church service and praying a prayer with a pastor. That's great, but that's just a response to what's happening in my heart that I realize that Jesus is real. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. And all of a sudden, I believe that in my head, and there's a change in my heart and a change in my life. It goes on to say, and you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done. So none of us can boast about it or take credit for it. I'm just going to say today that God wants us to be a church, to be a people who understand both grace and truth. Because I think sometimes when culture shifts, we can have a hard time finding the balance between the two. And so let me just say this if you're taking notes, that, that truth without grace is mean. In, in other words, there's a lot of truth, but not a lot of love. But on the other end, grace without truth is meaningless. Because how many of us know without truth, it just keeps us stuck where we are. Nothing changes. But both truth and grace is medicine. This is what brings healing into our hearts and lives and allows us to break free from our past and live the lives that God has always intended us to live. And today, not only do I want to challenge us as followers of God to live like this, but I also want to offer this to us today, both truth and grace. This is why we started Experience Church over 10 and a half years ago. We didn't start Experience Church because Defiance needed more churches. We got a few of them, right? And there's some great churches and some great pastors in our community. We started Experience Church because we needed more places that people could find both truth and grace and have an encounter with Jesus and never be the same. And so I just want to, give us this, that, that grace, man, grace invites us to be free. Isn't that beautiful? Because God always says, I know what you've done, I know where you've been, and I still love you, and I still welcome you. But truth sets us free. Grace invites us to be free. Come as you are. It's okay, you got problems, you got issues, me too. You got stuff, you got me too. Grace invites us to be free, but how many know truth sets us free? Because now I have a standard to live. We don't change the word. Come on, we let God's word change us. And I just want to close today with a, a beautiful story that really illustrates both truth and grace. It's found in, in John chapter 8. And Jesus is, is sitting down teaching a crowd of people when, when some Pharisees, some religious leaders, they bring this, this woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. And they bring this woman out and they, they throw her at Jesus' feet in front of the entire crowd that he is teaching. And they tell them, the law of Moses says that this woman who is caught in the very act of adultery, the law of Moses says that she should be killed, that she should be stoned to death, rocks thrown at her until she's dead. 
but what do you say, Jesus? And they were, and they're basically giving Jesus an either or. You're gonna go with truth, Jesus, and kill her? Or are you gonna go with grace, Jesus, and go against God's word? And the message today is that we don't have to choose either or, we can actually do both. We can give grace and truth. And so Jesus responds by, by saying this, this famous line that he who is without sin can throw the first stone. And one by one, they, they walked away. And then Jesus is, is left there with this woman. And he, he looks at her. Let's take a look. John chapter 8, verses 10 through 11. Jesus looks at this woman stoops down, he looks her in the eye, he says, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them stay to condemn you? No, Lord, she said. Jesus looks at her and says, neither do I condemn you. Grace, grace, grace. You have shame, you got guilt, made some mistakes, Where are your accusers today? Does any of them condemn you? Then neither do I. Grace. But how many of us know he didn't stop there? Then he looks at her and says, go and sin no more. Truth, go and quit settling for the counterfeit version of the real thing. Go, go and live your life of freedom. Go and be the person that I've created you to be. Go. Truth and grace. I know this is the church God's called us to be. Both grace and truth. What I love is the same thing is available to each and every one of us today. Jesus said, I give you grace and truth together. I know what you did last night, but I still want you to come. And let me do a work in your life. Leave your life of sin because I got something so much better for you. I got something that's actually 10 times better. Amen? Would you pray with me today? Father, we thank you for your love that never fails. We're so grateful for your grace and your truth. Thank you that you love us right where we're at but yet you love us enough not to let us stay there. We're blown away by who you are. As we're praying together today with every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe you're watching online, you would say today that you just know you're not right with God. You don't have a relationship with him. Maybe you felt like your sin has disqualified you, maybe because of shame, felt unqualified. In this moment and in this place, God wants to remind you of his grace and truth. I don't condemn you. Come on, receive my life. Receive this gift of salvation and go and sin no more. I got something better for you, 10 times better. If you would say, I want a relationship with Jesus today. I want to know him right where you're at. Would you just lift your hand to heaven? Say, here I am, God. I want to surrender my heart to you. And right where you're at, would you just pray this prayer with me? Come on, I see your hand in the back. Come on, pray this with me. Say, God, thank you. 
Thank you for loving me right where I'm at. Thank you for believing in me. Thank you that you still have a plan for me. No matter how many times I've messed up, no matter how many times I've made mistakes, you still believe in me. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to pay the price for my sin on the cross. Thank you, God. I receive this. I believe in you. Here's my life. God, forgive me of my sin. Fill me with your spirit. Show me how to live. My life is yours. I want to follow you the rest of my days. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Come on, let's give God some praise for what he just did in this place. So good.